You're listening to Standing Before the Mast podcast with Chris Heaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Standing Before the Mast podcast. I'm your host, Chris Heaton. For those of you keeping track at home, this is my 13th episode. My guest for this episode is Hank Niskern. Hank is the former chairman of the Newport Waterfront Commission, a commission on which he sat for many years. And Hank's here to offer us a bit of insight and analysis into the recent mooring regulation changes that have been proposed by the Waterfront Commission to the City Council. Uh, The first meeting was a bit heated. Uh, A lot of people didn't like what the changes were going to be. Uh, Some people still don't. But Hank offers us a a look at how it all gets put together. Uh, Now, you may not agree with everything Hank says. Um, If anything, it may raise more questions. But I think I'm complimenting Hank when I say that he's a bit of a policy wonk and he really gets into the nitty-gritty of transparency, process, public access, citizen engagement, uh, the, the proper use of moorings and dinghy docks. He defines public trust waters and he complements the role that the Newport Maritime Alliance has played in getting the public involved in this process. So it's a bit specific to Newport and I apologize if if it's not something you're following, but if you are following it, you might glean something from what Hank has to say. I hope you enjoy. Okay, I'm here with Hank Niskern. Hank, welcome. Thank you. And you're you're not on the Waterfront Commission now. Correct. But you were the chairman. Yeah, I think I was on the Waterfront Commission for, I picked up somebody else's term, then I did two full terms, which are six years. I think I was on for like eight, or wow. a little bit longer. And I think I was chairman maybe five of those. All um, right. I'll jump right into it because it seems to be a hot issue. The The, the changes to the mooring regulations... Um, I've heard that it goes back either months or years. What what is it? How long have they been working on those changes? They've been working on it for uh, probably two years now, or a year and a half anyway. Um, there was a major change in the ordinance in 2014, and and I had left before they were finished. But and when you know what happens when people add ordinances, you know this to the ordinance, that to the ordinance. What we found is it was it said we we were looking at things it says one thing here says the opposite here says this here this doesn't match with that there we don't say anything about that you know and and typos and gram, grammatical errors and everything and this spans different members uh, as we were wrapping up the or as we were doing the uh, the harbor management plan which is really really a critical document um, we noticed this stuff but we couldn't change all that. We just wanted to get this thing, you know, approved and done. And then we said, okay, now we're going to go back and get these ordinances so they're professional and readable. And and also, one thing was you couldn't read them because you, know, you may be asking about mooring, but it may be in some other part of the ordinance that has nothing to do with moorings, but that's where it was placed. So we said, okay, all mooring stuff goes here, all stuff goes there. So that's what we tried to do. Mm. And and the folks that worked on it worked hard on it, and they got that approved. The harbor management. Right. So right. then this, but there is a lot of stuff that still needs to be, you know, voids that need to be filled, uh, things that aren't helping us manage the harbor. Mm-hmm. And so those, um, that's what this this group has been working on. The the changes that were before the the city council. What was driving that, particularly the, the the advanced the mooring list? Is that being driven by CRMC or the city? I think that was being driven by the Waterfront Commission, saying you know this, this the the backup on the list has gotten you know longer and longer. This is not tenable. You can't keep doing this. Hmm. And what are some reasons for it and so forth? And how did that happen? There are a lot of things like way back one of the other mooring. Uh, in you know the uh, ordinance changes was at one point is wherever your address was when you submitted your application was what 
if you lived in if you lived in Newport, you were a Newport resident. Mm-hmm. You could be living in Telluride, Colorado, mm. but if your name nice was, place, yeah. But if your name was on, you know, on the application as Newport, you were you were not a non-resident; you were a resident. Right. So I mean, there are a lot of oddities like this that over time got cleaned up. And if somebody got notified that they're on that list, uh, and they were in Telluride, did they also did they also have a residence in Newport? No, no, they got, they're gone. But they were occupying but, a space. No, be, be, no, they hadn't. They weren't even on the. They haven't even gotten the morning yet. Hmm. What they their name they had a their address when they originally submitted it was a resident mooring because hmm. they were living here at the time. You see, I mean, it's, yeah. it's 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 an oddity. Well, my dad, I I thought the weight actually came down quite a bit because I remember when I first started working for even before Jake for Mark Hastings yeah. when I first became an assistant harbor master. The joke was 15 to 20 years was the wait, and people just sort of said, well, that's what it is. And my dad got on the list in 1983 when he actually bought property oh. here, and he didn't get a mooring until 19, the late 90s. So he was on for a long time. And I, I advanced up the list fairly quickly. I 11 years was my wait. But Tim explained to me that the factor there was there was an expansion of the point right. area. So that I, I benefited from that, and that was really all I, where I wanted to be anyway. Well... You know, again, is I heard stories from back. A lot of it was not very transparent hmm. um, on who got mornings and who didn't. Yeah, and I wondered how much of that, you know, I, I feel obviously for the people who want a mooring, and, and I think, well, I waited, and I never even looked at the list. Uh, I don't even think it was online for most of my wait. And now I'm wondering, well, how much is technology driving this? You know, you can look at the list and almost track it like a package, and now people can log in and say, hey, I haven't moved. Well, it was... When I looked, when, th- when I got on the waterfront, I went to take a look at the list. Uh, it was something that would not pass much of a test for, you know, let's uh, with transparency and right. precision. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I found interesting at the meeting, at the, the first public forum, was it was sort of presented like, this is a public meeting, we're here to share this with you, but we're not going to make any changes. And then, ultimately, there was some language issues, particularly with how, how you would occupy your mooring. The 30-day thing came up, and where the wording was, you should be on your mooring for 30 consecutive days, and every hand went up in the room that said that, that that's how they interpreted it. And there was real resistance to change that, but then it, it, was, it seemed to have been changed by the second meeting. Uh, I, I think this is human nature talking. You know, if you've worked on something and spent a lot of time doing it, and then somebody comes along and says, you know, and you're all you're about ready, to, you're done. Mm. And somebody comes along and says, this isn't very good at all. Why did you do it this way? Why did you do it that way? You know, your first reaction is to strangle the person. defensive. Yeah, yes. yeah. And I think that's what you were seeing. Right. As as also you're seeing it, I think on the participants too. How come you didn't ask us earlier? You know, so I think right. both of the folks were kind of disappointed. You know, and yeah. The second meeting was definitely less pitchforky. The second meeting was was extraordinary. I thought, and I mean, like, you know, in the middle of the meeting, you know, there was um, somebody said, "Well, if these are your goals, you know, to you know get more turnover and try to reduce misuse or underuse of moorings." I'm not sure our rules are, are even strict enough. Hmm. So you almost had, and, and then you have the Waterfront Commission arguing, yeah, but we wanted to be fair to people who, you know, whether it's a spouse who died or something. Right. So they ended up flipping roles hmm. in the middle of the meeting, which was, I thought, and and also I think everybody agreed. I know the water, people on the Waterfront Commission say, you know, the wording is better now. You know, yeah. It's good. And I think that this is always the problem when you're writing these kinds of things to get, you know, agreement is never, the English language isn't that good. I mean, I always, well, my I, wife would argue otherwise. Well, <laughs> well, when I was teaching a class, I, I, you know, I taught at Roger Williams and some other places. But one of the, I talk about communications, you know, and mm-hmm. and I was talking about my wife um, asked me to go out and pick up some paint. She was going to paint the bathroom, and I said, "What kind? Of, you know, what color paint?" And she said, um, "Blue." And I said, flat or, or glossy? And she said, um, somewhere in between. And I said, well, what color blue? Dark blue, light blue? She said, somewhere in between. And then what I do for my class is I you know, went down to the paint store and got those little tiles of paint. Right. 
there's probably 80 blues. And so I span them out and say, now, what do you think my probability of getting this right is? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and so, um, and that's why we need to communicate more is kind of a, a litany of, of long, it's just hard. I, I, can, if I go, can I go continue with this a yeah, little bit? Yeah, sure. One of the problems we have in Newport, I think, is workshops are really no longer really effective. They started out with a good purpose and a good goal in mind. And that was the people to come together, ask questions, mm-hmm. um, and talk it through, and see what might be able to be done before we got into a final kind of a thing. And um, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't work that way. I think like one was the pond when they had to shore up the the pond edge mm-hmm. on uh, after the hurricane. Um, you know, they they had they had workshops. They told about you know several times they you know they published yeah. it they nobody came nobody came nobody really cared right until they got the, the everything was ready to go it was going out for a bid everything was ready to go and they they did the the uh the artist rendition of the and it was in the paper when people saw the artist rendition and the steel sheathing went went down they went one person went crazy and then called their neighbors they all went crazy they called their friends they all went crazy and they stopped into the the last meeting you know or when the city council was going to vote on mm-hmm. it and and they had signs you know you know there's cities stomping on our rights uh, you know and you can imagine how the staff felt i don't know how the staff felt but i can just imagine they've been working on this thing for a year they did everything the way they're supposed to do it and now these people are screaming and yelling they never came to a workshop right in the end it got delayed it cost the city i think a quarter million dollars more because of the delays and stuff but in the end the the actual result was better because of it mm-hmm. but so i think the idea of workshops as we have had in the past i think may aren't that effective i think we need to look at something different it almost sounds like you're advocating that if you have one it comes it, it's almost impossible to do this. I think what the Waterfront Commission did is they, um, when they announced the, the, first, the first workshop at the, at the library, they sent it out on, you know, with the Newport uh, Maritime Alliance. Mm-hmm. That, you know, they, the Newport Maritime Alliance sent it out to let people know it was right. going to be there. And then I think there was That's word how of, I found out about yeah, it. Yeah, I think word of mouth stuff. And I think it was, it was an afterthought. I mean, it was just like we'd like to get more people involved in it. Mm. So, and I think, so Matt said, hey, why don't we put it out under our stuff? And then people wrote Matt and said, do we have a copy of this thing? And so Matt put a copy up and sent that out. You right. Know? And so I think that's what got the interest in it. And then in the second meeting, it was smaller, and, and that was very focused. What changed, I think, between the first and the second was the goals of what the of what the Waterfront Commission was trying to achieve. You know, it, it wasn't anything about safety. You know, we mm-hmm. got rid of, I mean, yes, yes and no. I mean, it's a nice cl- catch word. Right. It was really about bad behavior in the harbor, mm-hmm. uh, moorings that are never used, um, the fact that we have people waiting, and 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 the dynasty ownership or di- mm-hmm. uh, retention of moorings. And those had to stop. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we have to do, and so that's so once everybody got the knew the goals, it's a lot easier to have a discussion. So that idea of passing it down to a child, even with the sort of extension that they worded into it, that's got to go away. That's that's a, a non negotiable item, pretty much. Or let me not say that because I'm not involved in it. But this thing about, and this will get gamed. I teach measurements. You know, it's, it's interesting because yeah. you, you don't really get in business courses. You or like an MBA, they don't talk so much about measurements except profitability and expenses and stuff like that. But if you, you but many of measurements are are very hard to measure because they're quantitative. How do you measure morale? Mm. I mean, you can use a proxy measure like maybe attendance or turnover, but it's very hard to measure a lot of this stuff. So, and, and the other thing is, is like uh, for a company. If you're going to pay the executives or the management based on their share price, um, that seemed like a good measure. It's, a, it's something that's incentive and so forth, except it gets gamed. Mm. You know, you want to raise your stock price? Just announce a layoff, you know, before the, before you're going to calculate it. Stock price will shoot up. Well, I think just by announcing these changes to the legacy aspect of passing it down to a child, people already were 
making plans if their child was an adult, you know, maybe transfer the ownership of the boat or or I think they saw the writing on the wall and said, I better do this now within the grace period. Yeah, it's getting game, but I think it's going to cut down on it, and, and, and maybe that's just part of a transition. Mm-hmm. The real problem that the, they were trying to solve is, like, what happens if if you pass away or something or become infirmed, and you have this boat, what are you going to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you have to, you know, all of a sudden your wife has to find another place to put it, good mm-hmm. luck, or... You know, it gives you it gives time to kind of not just throw somebody out, you know, right. a victim. But on the other hand, it doesn't allow it to give to your kid, and then your kid's cousin, and then your cousin's aunt, and then your you know, and and that's what was happening. Right. Essentially, you could tie up a mourning for a century, hmm. and that's not that's not compatible with a. What a, other harbors? What other harbors have this sort of legacy thing, and which ones don't? Did, you, did they look into that, do you know? Because um, I believe I, in Edgartown, moorings stick around. They, they stay with family members, don't they? I don't know, but they have... Massachusetts probably governs it differently. Yeah. Um, I, actually, that's a good question. I do not know the answer on that one. I know uh, Peyton Aram... Uh, got sued on whether, you know, the difference in fees between resident and non-resident, um, they said it was unconstitutional, but they upheld uh, Peyton Arum. The fee, that, would, that had to do with the fee structure. Yeah. Right. And the other one is, uh, we talked, it's not part of this ordinance change, but was on um, commercial moorings. Most, most, most cities don't have a lot of commercial moorings. Mm. Uh, they may have a lot of their own that the city controls, but the city controls right. it. And here it's it's kind of like over thirty percent are are commercial moorings, and it's only supposed thirty five percent, I think maybe, and it's supposed to be like twenty. I remember when I first started working on the harbor in the late eighties, there was a moratorium on commercial moorings, and they wouldn't even entertain you getting on a list. And I don't ever remember that changing. I think it just it became the moratorium became permanent because I don't believe any other new commercial moorings have ever yeah. been issued. But typically, you know, you the, the those kind of moorings, the commercial moorings went to fishermen who had mm. boats out in there, or you know, whose business depended on having a, having a mooring instead of a dock, or both. You know, um, it also was used for so boat yards, mm-hmm. uh, so f- people who were in the marine trades uh, for boat yards, like uh, Marshall's boat yard up in Peyton Arum, you know, they, they put mm-hmm. all their boats out there. Um, yacht clubs. But a, per- a private resident could get a commercial mooring, um, and they did. Here. Yeah. Yeah, but not. Yeah. Mo- but this yeah, is, we're the only place. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I know, um, well, I rented one from the, the yeah. man I bought my boat from yeah. until my name came up. Um, well, and that's it. And so uh, Oldport has the, the biggest collection of it, but it's only half. Mm-hmm. You know, and the other ones are one or, you know, have one or two or three. Uh, and a lot of people don't even live in the state. One thing that came up while we're on commercial moorings at, I think, both meetings, maybe more at the second one, uh, because the second one is where the city solicitor weighed in on an explanation. People wanted to know why the commercial moorings weren't part of the discussion to get people into a mooring. And he said something interesting, and that was, uh, at least for the private mooring, it's not a vested right that you can pass it on to your child. Yet you can, if you own a commercial mooring, you can sell it. So I suppose if you sold it for a dollar to okay. your child, that is, in a sense, okay. passing so it So if on. I sold it to you for, for $25,000, right? what do you get? You get a space in the harbor. For? A Presumably a mooring. Okay, you get mooring space. You know, right. That makes sense, right? And maybe maybe he'll throw in the tackle if, if you're okay, selling at that price. Yeah. But what? And the ability to rent it. And you can the ability to rent it. So it's, it's a business. So we talk about transferring private mooring. So mm. okay, so now we're talking about transferring um, commercial moorings, which is very little in the very little anything narrative in the right now in the ordinance about that yeah and i guess what i was saying the city solicitor at the the meeting said that that would have to be changed at the general assembly so that led me to think well at some point it must have been addressed at the general assembly because 
the commercial moorings are being sold in Newport Harbor? I think you may have bought a very expensive tackle, you know, ground tackle. Because you don't think it has any traction. It'd be like me renting your apartment. Mm. You know, you, you rent to me, I get your apartment. And then I turn around and let somebody buy it for me. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, that, that's, what, that's where I was confused yeah. because, as Fred clearly explained at the meeting, is that, and, 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 and Consular Leonard had to correct people, yeah. you, you know, all you're talking about is a permit here. The tackle belongs to the, the boater. The city is permitting you to use that space. They're just permitting you to, yeah. Which now, it turns out, is really state waters. Well, it's it was originally federal waters, right? Mm-hmm. Way back when. And then they're federal waters, and then they the feds turned it over to the states to manage. Um, I think the feds could take it back anytime they wanted, mm-hmm. but they just didn't want to manage it anymore. Right. And then the states didn't want to manage it, so they turned it over to the municipalities. Yeah. And so, but what, if you go way back to the beginning of the country, there's something called public domain mm-hmm. you know, waters, public trust waters. And it was mainly for commerce. You know, if, if people start doing things at the harbor, like I, I want to buy a strip across the opening to go from Goat Island to Fort Adams, you control the harbor. So for you can't, so you have to, so it was open waters because that was so necessary to commerce that the, in the founding days of the country, so, and those were, those laws are still on the books. So if I did approach, well, well it's the the widow now of the man I bought my boat from, and said, I'll "Give you twenty five thousand dollars for the mooring in the cove," and she agreed, the joke could ultimately be on me. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> not I don't have that kind of yeah. money. <laughs> well, you know, some of the people who are buying these things have you know are pretty well resourced. So mm. this thing, you know, when it, when it hits the fan, it's going to be. Uh, It'll be another interesting public it's meeting. Be, it's going to be very. It's going to be a. It's going to be controversial. You know, it's. Um, I use Nantucket as probably one extreme on this. Is that what they did? Is, um, they all their moorings were commercial moorings because it was theirs. Then they have some private moorings out there too. Mm. I think the waiting list is 122 years or something like that. The last. Right. But, and they also do it by size. You know, there's, you know, next mornings. You know, they, you if you have a thirty foot boat, we have to wait on the thirty five foot right. list and yeah. so forth. So Tim has done a very superb job of making this this morning feel about as actually you know pretty yeah. pretty friendly that way. Um, the then there the other mornings, I think I think they've subcontracted out to Nantucket mornings. Mm. Okay, now the mooring rates out there are pretty steep. They're probably double what we charge here. And um, and I do not know, and I could not get, it's, it's got to be out there somewhere, I just, at the time I was looking, I couldn't get what that, how much were, was Nantucket Moorings paying the, the city of Nantucket it. to manage this. Right. And uh, they do a good job of managing it, really. I mean, but it's, it is expensive, and I don't know, but again, this is how a municipality can decide to manage their harbor. Right. Yeah, and I know I know some folks that live on Jamestown, and they live on the water, and it's fairly straightforward, I think, to have the mooring yep. out in front of their house. In fact, they've got a dock, and then maybe yeah. the mooring out beyond that. Of course, in that scenario, you need some heavy, heavy tackle because of where it yeah. is. Well, it's we have the same thing here, too. You know, it's called, uh, it's like coral rights or something like that. That, so like the cove out on the drive, yeah, there's yeah. A, they don't have to go through the process of the waiting list and all. Well, that. not a waiting list. They do have to get an approval for a permit, but they, you know, they, mm. they that come that's part of the property, right? The deed kind of thing. So, um, the only problem is is a lot of times there's eelgrass there. So yeah, and the second is is that if you put a pier out, you have to be able to walk. You know, you have to have egress underneath it. Right. You know and and lastly, you know, your boat just gets slammed around here, especially like on the point, you just get slammed against the dock if you're if it's a north, a northeast, wester, you know. Yeah, well, you, you mentioned Tim, and I, I've had the pleasure of working for three harbor masters. The first one I didn't have much interaction with, it was Mark Hastings, and we effectively had what was then a third shift, okay. uh, 8, 8 p.m. to 
4 a.m., and okay. that, that was my shift. So I didn't really see Mark much, but he was fair, yeah. nice. And then we had Jake, and then I worked for Tim, and i got to say, you know, Tim is as straight shooter as you get yeah. and very fair, and I, I chuckled with, with my wife. When my name finally came up, there was still no favors. I had to provide all the documentation, and every every I was dotted, every yeah. T was crossed that I owned the boat, yeah. even though he knew me. You know, I, I, of course, I work for him, and I know exactly how he is. And this came up at one of the meetings, which was there was a, a broad there's a broad authority given to Tim. We're going back to the yeah. must use your boat every month of the summer, um, and then people said, "Well, what if I go cruising to to." to Maine or something, and they said, oh, we'll just call Tim, and everyone was comfortable with that, but it leads to the question, what happens when Tim retires or if he decides to move on, and we get somebody that has a different interpretation of that 30-day rule? Well, and that's why Tim is kind of stickler, you know, so what, what's two feet at Stone Pier, you know? It's, this is mm-hmm. why he's a stickler for this stuff, you know, if, because we want it to be enforceable. And he wants to be able to enforce it and, and know that he is meeting the, the letter of the ordinance. Mm. You mentioned Tim being a stickler on the two-foot rule. And I thought almost universally 14 feet was the maximum length you go to any marina. 14 feet was the sort of, okay, anything above that, you're not a dinghy anymore. And, and you guys seem, or not you, but the Waterfront Commission seemed to have dropped that down to 12 feet. Well, what uh, I'm not sure this is all absolutely correct. Mm. One of the first things we try to do is, we, you know, again, gaming the system, putting a canoe or a paddle board on mm. a mooring, you know. And so we can't do that. So, okay. And the second one was the driftways. Oh, so that applied to moorings, not... I thought that applied to the dinghy dock. It, it applied to... start out with the moorings. Right? Oh, okay. So... You know, um, if it's under this, it's a dinghy. If it's over that, then it's you know okay. Mm. And then it'll then we had to come to grips with this thing on the on the driftways too, because the driftways everything was remember those days everything was piled up. There were right. boats that had been there for twenty years, and the point complained bitterly about this, and we cleaned it up. The point complained. I'm shocked. Yeah, <laughs> now they <laughs> complain because they're like racks. But anyway, that's all right. That's that's the nature of the beast. So. Um, and then the question was, so it started to be moorings, you know, and, uh, you know, boat boat size for moorings. And then it kind of shifted to, um, but you got to, then if you have like a, a, say, a 16-foot rule, and I'm making this up, 16-foot rule has to be over 16 feet to, to boat to have a mooring. Mm. And then you have a dinghy that's, uh, you know, you can only go to 12 feet. You have, you four, you have a person on a boat's in this four foot, they're, they're, Right, they're out of the. We've yeah. alienating them. I mean, they have no, they have no, no, no capacity. So I think they're trying to get where this, to line this up. twelve degree, this twelve one is is where it meets up. Mm. I don't know if you've spent time in like Egertown um, Harbor. There's only one little stupid dinghy dock. Yeah. There's one over by the Harbor Master, but it's only fifteen minutes. Mm. The other one's in front of that uh, by the Yacht Club. Yep. And you go in there. I mean, I went in there, and there, <laughs> there was a twenty-foot boat with two, two eighty-horse outboards, outboards on it in the dinghy dock. And that was the tender, yeah. Yeah, and can you imagine what that does to a dinghy dock? Yeah. And uh, so, and then in Nantucket, you go there to their dinghy docks, and they have boats that are, you know, this like this this person that Kate was talking about, a fourteen-footer or something. Mm. They probably have. Two dozen of them there, and they're they're pretty much half sunk. You know, they, they haven't it hasn't been bailed in a month. You know, so essentially what it is is the the city is underwriting the dockage for these boats. Hmm. Now, on the other hand, we don't have any small boat facilities here. Fred Roy mentioned this that one of the things on their list to do. This is the other thing that came out of the workshop is they got a list of things that came up which were damn good issues. Right. And but we just not this is not for now. Yeah. But it's on their list. And one of them is what are we going to do for the small boat that you know the person would have as a 14 foot boat sure. no place to keep it other than just trailing it on and off. So, um and and I think they're going to try to take that one on. You know, what are the possibilities here? You know, could and I'm making this up. When I used to li- live in the Netherlands. If that was a problem, they would just they would just 
cut a channel, make a little, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> you know, create more, create space. more. Yeah. But um, we might be able to do something over with the Navy Hospital at some point. Um, we we did talk about it, putting it at Store Park. Mm. You know, I'm not sure the point would ever go for it, but um, but you know, when you get a northwest wind coming in there, yeah, that that play, <laughs> nothing survives in there. So um, another one might be to see if we could get fishing, you know, small fishing boats, mm. like in Bristol, and and make a small harbor within the fishing pier, you know, just as a pilot, for instance. Right. And see if we. Could. But I think we need we. Every, I think everyone's in agreement. It's not really fair. We got to do something else. But on the other hand, providing a dock to a person, a dinghy dock to a person, is essentially giving them free dockage. Mm. You know, what I mean, is that fair? Yeah, um, somebody so. did bring that up at the first meeting yeah. um, because that was one of the things that they were they were changing. Yeah. And and he asked the question, and I think that was the one you're saying. Oh, we're not here to talk about that. Yeah. But it was it was an but issue. This is where you know this is why these ordinances are so tough for fairness and things like that. And it. It's almost like you know. I just if if you if it kind of is fair and you've involved the right people, mm. um, and you involve people and you've listened and you have adapted adapted to kind of what they're saying, that's probably as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know. You talk about people gaming the system. What if there were a scenario that somebody was going to be in between boats beyond? a one- or two-year gap where they could, you know, either turn it over to the harbor master to let them rent it or get that one-year grace period, uh, or is it two years? I think it was two years. I think, I think it's... The, but what, what would yeah. prevent somebody from buying a, a real cheap boat? I mean, there are plenty of cheap and nasty boats, and registering it properly, parking it on the mooring, so now the, it's, it's occupied, but the boat actually never goes anywhere until it's hauled out. You're almost, you know, what's to prevent them from just leaving it there? Well, um, nothing. Mm-hmm. That's gaming the system. You know, we go back to measurements. Right. As fast as you can come up with a measurement, you know, like, you know, people screaming about how many rules there are for businesses, you know, and, you know, they're just overcome with rules sure. and regulations. Well, they didn't, you know, they didn't start because somebody thought it was, yeah. we need more regulation. But they were seem to be really addressing. The, the the moorings that were there and had a boat registered them but were unoccupied. I've got three around me. One of them keeps hitting me. Quite the problem there is there's no boat on it, so we swing differently. Whereas if somebody bought a cheap boat and parked it there, they're still occupying the mooring and they're not helping the mooring. Well, I had a thousand dollars worth of damage on my trans- transom. Yeah. Because I was the way I you were swing. I, I'm on my boat, and they're not on the boat. So that the the eye coming through the ball. Oh, yeah. Get underneath me. Looks like machine gun fire on the tumble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've had that. But it, the person never used it. But they have it because it, just in case they need it. Right. Well, my dad's in that boat. No pun intended. Because yeah. he has a slip at the yacht club, and and I think his concern was when that, when that rule said thirty consecutive. They must use the mooring, occupy the mooring yeah. for thirty consecutive days. He thought he'd have to bring his boat out there and park it, yeah. you know, nonstop. Um, well, I think I think in this, his his situation is that if there's a, a tropical storm warning or higher, I think he has to get out of the yacht club. But this, yeah, and that's I think there's a rule like that. But Timmy can kick you off in the morning too. So I think what if we took if we actually did collected the data from that, how many people actually took their boat, took it off the dock, and put it into them, put it out on their morning in a hurricane? Mm. I I don't think there's more than. I think it would come out to, like, in the last decade, probably 20 boats. Well, I imagine it would it would have to do with the club or marina, because if they have a rule that yeah. you have to get out. But, but the rule, I was talking about actuality. Oh, right. This is where the, the perception has taken over reality. Mm. So, in other words, so we have kept, let's say, 40 people off the mooring waiting list, or on unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. For that one chance in 500 that there may be a storm of a magnitude that is is big enough, so you have to get off the dock, off the yacht club dock, yeah. and not so big that you really don't even want to be in the on right. in the you water. Don't fall out. Yeah, yeah. See what I mean? It's it's like it's like so tradition. statistically, what you're saying, Hank, is it's on par with the fact that I switched to natural gas in November. And then I had no gas for a week in January. Yep. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, it's, the it's, joke was on me, but statistically, statistically yeah. it, it had never happened before. Yeah. yeah. And um, I see what you're saying. So anyway, I think, and, and this is like, and again, we kind of say, well, that's our rationale for it, but we've never really gone back to question the rationale. Mm. Um, I did agree with, you know, people question how, how would, how would Tim staff track this? How are you going to track it? It is quite easy when you're riding around the harbor within two weeks, you can make a pretty quick assessment and say that mooring has been vacant for a long, yeah. you know, it, it's pretty easy to well, identify. I, I think if you have rules that, that are out there to ordinances that deter the behavior, mm. um, that oftentimes has a really, a, you know, 80% of your, the effect that you're trying to cause. Like in, I think I mentioned this in Agertown, they say if you're on, on mooring half the season, mm-hmm. you know, the harbor master has the, has the, um, the prerogative to take your mooring away, your mooring permit away. And so, have they ever used it? No. Mm. But did people start giving up their mooring because of it? You know, right. yeah. Now, Councillor Leonard raised an interesting question. I I scrolled through the. I didn't go to the city council meeting, but I scrolled through the video that it had it. They had online, and she raised the issue of liability. So, if you turn the, I'd say I wasn't going to use my mooring for a year or two, and I turned it over to the city, and then they rented it, and something. Does yeah. that fall? I guess. Well, my mooring is inspected every year by a professional yeah. company, and he's insured. So I imagine that the insurance is in place. But I guess she was concerned with who would be liable the the, the person who turned the mooring back over to the city, the city, or the insurer of the uh, yeah, of, she, of the company that maintained the mooring. Yeah, we um, I think around two thousand ten, two thousand eight, to be precise. Um, <laughs> We had put uh, a change in place where is if a mooring wasn't being used or if somebody wasn't on their mooring, that the city could then, the harbor master could put a boat on that mooring. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, this is exactly what Block Island is doing now. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't call the harbor master by three o'clock and say, "I'm out, I'm, I'm out, I'm out sailing," I'm, I'm not going to get back till after sunset. No problem. But if, but if you're, if you go away and nobody's on it by three and you haven't called and boats coming in, he'll put a boat on. He'll it. put a boat on it. Yeah. And um, so that's what we were trying to do too, because we we're trying to make Newport more welcoming. Mm-hmm. We we're, we are a tremendous harbor. Everybody loves coming Everyone here. Everyone wants to be here. But yeah. I was talking to one of the people that was running like Map Tech or one of those magazines or guides, and she said, "Oh, everybody loves coming to Newport. And you're right in the town. It's a beautiful harbor. It's a fun place to be." Uh, then she hesitated. I said, "What's the hesitation for?" She says, "Well, it's not a really friendly harbor. You know, if you don't know somebody, it's almost impossible to get to get a mooring or get help or, you know, hmm. um, and." And then I, I said, um, what are some of the best ones? And she said, well, one of the best ones is there's a, a harbor up in Maine somewhere. Uh, the harbor master was a, was a woman. And she said, if you take the trouble to come into our harbor, we'll find you a place. Really? And I thought, now, isn't that good? Yeah. And Newport has come a long way because mm. you get people saying, you know, like, I don't have anything, but try. <laughs> you yeah. know, so now we're much better at that. Right. But, we were, and if you just listen to the VHF, it was awful. Yeah, I mean, well, we had uh, what we called quarantine moors yeah. over by Goat Island, and we we saved those for for when there was a storm yeah. and some boats broke loose in the anchorage. We we put them over there, but all of a sudden, I mean, maybe it wasn't all of a sudden, but I noticed in the '90s we started renting them, and it for it, it sort of phased in. First, it was refer them to Old Port Newport Mooring Service and, and yeah. the various renters, and then. At some point, somebody made the decision in the city, no, you guys can, if somebody calls you for a mooring, rent them the mooring. And we'd, we'd fill up that field, and then internally it just became a discussion of we need to make sure that we have two or three available in case of bad weather. Well, and and that's, you know, that's still, I think, we still try to do that. I'm yeah. not sure where we are in that. But to go back to what Kate was saying, so 2008 we got this and we're going to do it, you know. But 2008, the financial meltdown happened, and, mm. <laughs> and we always had room in the harbor oh, right. because nobody went anywhere. So, But we did look at the liability issue. It's a non-issue. Yeah. It really is a non-issue. Um, and by non-issue, it's not, I mean, you just can't, can't ignore it. But 
in talking with the folks who, who, for instance, insure all the municipalities, it's, mm. it's a consortium that does that, and they said it's not that wouldn't be an issue. And the other one is is that, um, you know, again, are you going to try to present the prevent the one out of ten thousand that occurs? Yeah, you know, so it's it's kind of a hollow, mm. you know, it's legitimate, but it's just not not really a. And factor. what was the bit that came up? I guess it was near the end of the, at the second workshop, where they say that the state views it as everyone has an opportunity. Public domain. Public domain. In other public words, tru- public trust. Wars. Someone from East Greenwich has every right in their eyes to to come down and have a mooring in Newport or use it. Well, you have to. Ha- it has to be accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, what does that mean? Does that mean having a mooring, or when you come down here, you have a place to go and. And I think Newport. I mean, I got. I have to give Newport credit because we, instead of using the anchorage as a mooring area for us, it's still. It's still. You know, this yeah. is our legacy. You know, of we're international sailing community. Well, is that part of a, a, a harbor management plan or a state regulation that you have to have so much anchorage available? We are a deauthorized harbor, so mm-hmm. we under no longer under federal regulations, uh, or channel, or it also says we. You know, we the feds won't dredge, right? Um, but that we felt that was a non-issue. Mm. This, this is really when I was on the commission. We com- we commissioned URI's law school, maritime law school, to look at you know what are the rules, mm-hmm. what are the rules on moorings and ownership and stuff like that. And it was very clear that public trust waters are just that. You cannot, um, you don't own the waters. And whoever has authority to manage them will make those decisions. So, therefore, it would be the city. So, in my case, I was fortunate after 11 years to come up, and I had got a mooring a few years ago. And I just paid this. All this discussion has made me very diligent about making sure I paid my mooring yeah, yeah, fee yeah. the other day at City Hall. And I'm paying the city for the permission to drop the tackle that I own in that spot. Right, that that's what it is, and I under the new rules going forward, I don't have any kids, so it's not an issue for me. But I won't be able to transfer that. No, and and you know, and all these guys who want to transfer the boats to their kids, I don't think their kids are going to use it. I mean, this is wishful thinking. This is trying to trying to design a future that may not exist. So I mean, this is where the stuff gets pretty flaky when you mm. get down to the reality of it. You know. Yeah. Um, well, for a lot of years, I watched. 26 years here I watched customers go from you know that were my dad's age you know the sailboat they had to a slightly bigger boat to a slightly bigger boat oh now we're looking at catamarans or a trawler and then they're downsizing and then they're out yeah and it wasn't until probably the last three or four years and I'm encouraged by it I'm seeing young people as in younger than me by a decade or so come in they bought a project boat and they're happy yeah. You know, they're into it. And and that's good because, you know, I mean, who who at our age has the resources to go and go to a boat show and write a six-figure check? This is where, you know, how do you determine fairness? You know, like how how do we keep from from really disadvantaging young folks, hmm. you know? Um, to enjoy the sport. To enjoy yeah. the sport and be be part of the next generation of citizens and water people out there and... Um, and the stuff we're doing now is is doesn't look it doesn't look good. So I don't think it's something we can be proud of. Um, we did not go to a lottery system, which I am very because if you have a boat and you have to pray and hope that we're going to get a you're going to get a every four years that you'll still be able to get one. Yeah, it's you tough to plan for that. Yeah, I think that'll pretty much decimate the fleet. Mm. Um, you can, and, Who has a lottery system? Nobody, but oh. I mean, people bring that up as. Uh, so, you know, but anyways. It's yeah, a bad just on my, my observation and being in the back of the room at, at both meetings, it seemed very clear that the people who are on a list that wanted a mooring and perhaps like to see these changes, they had a boat and, and you know, they need a place for it. And the people who were against the legacy change, I call them legacy, I guess, to pass it down to a child. Again, it, it's it's like... It's a fairy tale. Mm. It's a fairy tale like I, I need to keep this mooring vacant all year long in case a hurricane comes. It's a fairy tale because that 
situation arises, you know, that's probably one of the the, the very it's an option, but it's an option you probably will not use very often, mm. if at all. I mean, if we really did that, it really said, how many times has this happened? Yeah. And, um, you know, like in some areas, I think, you know, like in the Netherlands, they say, no, you can, you know, you can have it. Mm. But if you don't use it, it's going to cost you $1,000 a month instead of $100 a month. Mm. And that all of a sudden changed, you know, yeah, it's not change. worth it to me all right. of a sudden. So, or we can say we can raise all the mooring rates and that'll... That, that you can't afford to, but then for the young families, they can't afford it either, so right. you screwed them. So this is where it, it gets tricky. Now, let me bring you back to the waterfront again, the workshops. Mm. So I said how the workshops really weren't that effective. Mm. I think the Waterfront Commission got it right. But you're talking about in general, not, in general. not the two that we for, had. For Yeah, well, I think my, my premise, and this is me talking here, is that workshops are not living up to their potential or what they're supposed to do in terms of communicating, problem-solving. A lot of times people will come and go to the workshop and listen, and then they'll bring all their ammunition at the, at the, at the council meeting. Ah, oh, right. You know, so yeah. essentially you thought you had everything squared away, and all of a sudden these guys hmm. come in at the last minute. So anyway, but here's what the Waterfront Commission did right. They, they asked the Newport Maritime Alliance if they could if we could send it out on our mailing list. Mm. So they went to the trouble to, to get a bigger group. And they didn't just post it <laughs> yeah. on the website and post it on the bulletin board at City Hall. They actually proactively went out and got some folks. And it was bigger, and it was a little more chaotic. And it got shared on social media. It got shared on social media. So and it comes back, and it's a little tense, right? Yeah. It's a little tense. And so, but then they had the second working group, smaller one, that was very, very, very productive as well. And so the third one comes, and we and they say, but you had a hundred percent participation. You twenty two people were invited to the yeah the second workshop yeah. that was in between the two public ones, and all twenty two people showed up. Yeah, and these were people that I think the Waterford Commission knew were really experienced and really understood the harbor, you know, as mm. opposed to you know just you know. And so anyway, so then it came time for the third workshop, and they said, okay, we'll send it out on the NMA list again, but. Let's send it out to everybody on the mooring list and the mooring waiting list. Every, mm-hmm. So everybody has a mooring and everybody's on the waiting list. They all got it. Now, just think if, if the city had all the workshops and said they're going to do something with trees or something to do with parks or something to do with parking, and they sent it out to an email saying, okay, mm-hmm. here's what the ordinances are. Here's, here's what our goals are. Here's what we're trying to change. We're going to have a meeting. Mm-hmm. What, you know, how would that be different than just posting it on the bulletin board? So I think I think that the Waterford Commission really went on a limb, and that was risky, you know, having mm. 200 people at Pell, you know. Mm. But for me, the amazing part of that was you, at the end you had 200 people walking out of Pell. They may not have liked what was going on. It may have disadvantaged them personally at some level. But you had 200 people who understood mm. what the goals were and what the city was trying to accomplish. Right. And to me, that is, is if you're going to have a community – that's what you need. Right. So. Yeah, the, 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 the meeting at Pell, the second real public yeah. one, was, was definitely less shouty than, than the first one yeah. at the library. Of course, there was more space, too. Well, and that's the nature of communication, right? You have a disagreement, and, mm. you know, each of you spend so much time yelling, you're hard listening. Then the second then you talk about it again, things that calm down, you know. The human being hates change. That's the way we're wired. That's right. part of our survival technique. You, I hate change, you know. So, and so the second time you're, you're kind of getting used to this, and you know, there's a little trust being there, and and then the third time is you really get underneath it because words usually are insufficient mm. to communicate. In between the two meetings, uh, performance research voluntarily uh, sent out a survey. Yeah. I think I filled it in. I know my dad did, and they got quite a tome of information come back and it was really wonderfully displayed did you see it yeah it was fit well that's 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 and it it sounds now like again i go back to that first public meeting the sort of the vibe at the very beginning was we're just going to present this we're not making any changes and then it's going to go to the council for the first read then they did incorporate changes as a result of yep. the performance research survey. Yep. So it wasn't all done and dusted at the first no, meeting. No, that did have time, and they did make some changes. But most of the big changes were done after the, out of the three meetings, done after the second one. 
Oh, okay. And um, you know, so now it still has to. They read it once at the council, and that was sort of painful to watch because yeah, they they had to go through each item. Now it goes for a second read, um, and that if it's if it's voted in, then then those changes take place. Th- then those changes take place. I think it's important to have those go through because this is just cleaning up stuff that really, really needs to be cleaned up. Mm. And uh, if there's some wording that, you know, other people would like to say change, let's get it on the shopping list. Nobody's, I mean, it's, it's good to know this, and having a shopping list is good. Right. Like, you know, small boat, some small boat dockage capability, um, mm. you know, and so it gets on the list of things to do. And, and again, uh, I, you know, this was Jed Pearsall and mm. Performance Marketing. It's a fantastic organization. I mean, those guys, they do the Nike stuff, the, uh, you know, the Extreme Games, mm. the Olympics, yep. Coke, you know. I mean, they, I mean, they, yeah. and we're lucky, and he just does it, he does it to help us out. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's incredible. But the way that was structured, again, questions can, you can kind of get answers depending on how you word it and stuff. But I thought they, they really did a good job of trying to get questions right. Um, and so people reading it is it's the same as what you were trying to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and the data was good. And the data shows that, you know, there's a lot of different opinions on this thing, but you can't have too many opinions when mm-hmm. you're doing an ordinance. You know, it's got to be close to get the gray area down as, as much as you can and be fair. And but they also had all the comments from all six hundred. Oh, really? That is the gold mine, I think. And so I think that, and I think I hope, but I also feel pretty confident that the Waterfront Commission will go through all those and say what are the what are the trends? What are we hearing? What's hmm. so for three workshops? I mean, the amount of participation and the amount of information that came out of it is is really astounding. Now all the. Waterfront Commission meetings, they're all open to the public, correct? They are. So any member of the public could attend yep. these Waterfront Commissions where these are being discussed, and, and maybe that's why Fred was reacting, saying, hey, we've had public meetings, uh, whereas at the first at the first forum at the library, yeah. people were upset because it was the first they were hearing of it, and his response was more or less, well, you're welcome to come to any Waterfront Commission meeting. Yeah, and, 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 and both people... Are right, mm. you know, yeah. and uh, I mean, waterfront commissions like city council meetings. I mean, is citizenship? Yeah, you should pay attention and you should be involved, but that's usually people's not, not their first choice of yeah. things to do. Oh, you know? of course, no. So, um, but again, if it's just on a website or just on a um, or on a bulletin board, mm. you know. You know, I, do you do you go look and see what? Me, yeah, I mean, the meetings are listed in the paper. You can see them there. But if you don't know what's on it, right? So I think the thing is, we're you know we're going to be t- we're going to have a little forum on something. You know, mm. I think that would be far more effective. Now with Tom, um, the new our new communications director mm-hmm. um, for the city, I think he's trying to look at some of this stuff too. But I think we need we being. Um, Organizations and stuff need to be much more proactive about getting the word you out. Know, if you're interested in this, come. Yeah. You know? And so it doesn't come back yeah. at the end. But if I was if I was mayor, I'd say, you know, if you don't come to the workshops hmm. and you don't kind of talk about it in your workshops, don't bring it up at the council meeting. Hmm. You know, <laughs> do yeah. it here first, so we we each have a chance to. Councilor McLaughlin made a comment more than once. He, he used the, the word, "Well, we can kill it," and he wanted to get through it the first read and saying look we can always kill it on the second read and that left me thinking you know after all the work that the the waterfront commission's done and then the the public meetings if he if the council then kills it where does that leave the waterfront commission well i don't know but you know i think a lot of people will be hugely disappointed and putting in all this time and effort over the year if Mm. if you're just going to disregard it yeah. Why am I doing this? I mean, that's, that's the question you have to ask. So I think what he meant by, I think he was trying to get that meeting, you know, get the first read, get it read. And, he said kill and it in a procedural sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he was also saying, let's not second guess everything they did. I mean, the wordsmithing and everything. And I mean, they weren't bad comments, but um, but you have to trust people, <laughs> mm, Yeah. <laughs> you know. And uh, if you have concerns, you can bring it up. 
and there's and it's like there, if you try to solve world hunger in mm-hmm. one fell swoop, you don't get very far. Right. So I think what what Councilor McLaughlin was doing is say, let's okay, let's think about what this stuff is, and let's put everything in context here, mm-hmm. and and then if you know, and read it carefully, and and we can ask questions between now and then, and uh, and the second one, you know, the worst case is you go to a third one, you yeah. know. How involved was CRMC in, in this? I know that there was a, a meeting in between the meetings, uh, where, and at one of the at the second workshop at Pell, somebody asked if there was a representative from CRMC there, yeah. and was that was that not necessary that they be involved at that level? Well, they're invited. I think they just had prior commitments. You know, right. it's kind of a short time frame, but. Um, and is there a point person at CRMC? Obviously, there's more than one person. Is there someone in the, that's the, the point person for the, the Newport changes? That is what the Waterfront Commission's role is, to go and talk to CRMC, not drag the whole community into a CRMC thing. I right. Mean, it, you can if you want. There's no it's open government, but... Um, the I think I think not having them there was no it was not a there's no downside to that right there was no question yeah. that came up that only but they could answer what once again Fred Roy and the Waterfront Commission was very proactive they went there and said here's what we're doing here's what we're kind of working through here's what and and they got the answers they wanted like for instance well not what they wanted but they got clarification they got answers. Yeah. yeah like we really don't like this idea of any transfer as far as we're concerned you know we understand it and we'll probably go along with it but mm. that's not what we're, that's not where we're going you know, it's been. You know, this it's it. This is not act equal access. Mm-hmm. Now, when they talk about residents, um, you know, the balance between residents and non-residents, they say, you know, for a variety of reasons, the people are, have uh, who are adjacent to that water and who are managing the water should have certain privileges. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, but when we said we're not going to take on any more non None residents until we get back. They said, no, 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 no. That was too far. <laughs> yes, that's a bridge too far. All oh, right. So, again, what's fair? And it, here's your goal, but right. what's a fair way to getting there? Not a, and a non-resident is really just somebody who does not live in Newport. Not somebody, you know. It, I think there was some confusion at one of the meetings where they thought a resident meant of Rhode Island. Yeah. But they didn't. It yeah. meant the city of Newport. Well, people ever be, you know, people are, like, being lawyers, you know. Uh, yeah. And uh, it may be good to go back and take a look on, you know, what the rationale for all this is. Um, like, for instance, what is a partner? What is a resident? We just we just follow what how how does state define it? How do municipalities define it? And then the Waterfront Commission doesn't make these up. They you know right. they follow whatever you yeah. know whatever the law is. Yeah, they did spend a lot of time trying defining what a domestic partner yeah. was, and I guess that that's important. Not everyone gets married these days. And- yeah. Well, it was you know the one problem was you can only transfer it to your your wife, mm. and then all of a sudden you know, I mean it's like what is, you yeah. know I mean things. What if the wife owns the mooring? What if she wants to transfer it to the husband? What if your wife is not a wife? Right. You know. It's, yeah. uh, you know that kind of stuff, and it was these are just changes. This is why these things all need to be kind of updated, and so how do you do it in a fair way? You know, um, so it's a glimpse into how sausage is made. You don't want to get too close to the process. Well, when you're not serving on boards and commissions, where do you like to go sailing? I like I I end up liking to sail. That's been all my time sailing. Yeah, is you know go to go to a harbor and spend a week or two there mm-hmm. if I can. You know, and, uh, and and get to know the town. And I'll, I'll, you know, of course, I poke around, talk to the harbor master, yeah. see what they're doing, and ideas I have, and so forth. Yeah. Um, I think my, you know, but it's one of the, that boater's dilemma is if you divide the total cost of the boat divided by the number of hours you use it, it, mm. is, it is really an ugly number, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I try I don't to, think you should do that with any activity or sport. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's, it's, it's true. Um, I mean, it took, yeah. <laughs> so I think I, I like going up to Egertown. I mm. like I like the way the harbor's managed and stuff. But I, I like going to you know, I like going up there. I like going to. I quit going to Block Island, but I like to go kind of back there mm. and down to Connecticut, like yeah, Niantic. I don't, think, or, I don't think I've been to Block Island in fifteen years. I'm I'm with you on there. So, 
you know, it was so, my cr- boat, it was so crowded and couldn't get a mooring in the, in the kind of uh, sometimes the anchorage was dicey. Mm. So, but this is why I think, I think Newport, uh, Newport is over the last the two decades since I've been here. I mean, when you first came here, everybody was. You know, kind of hoarding their piece of the pie, mm-hmm. and you know, and he's an enemy. You know, and I think over the years, and I think NMA has helped out on this a little bit. Is people are getting together and you know, sharing information, sharing ideas, helping each other out. Sure. Um, and and you have people like DEM and the organization within the town, and it, you know, cooperating more. Like I think, you know, Sale Newport in terms of the Volvo races and mm-hmm. some of this stuff. I mean, how everybody, when we had the first uh, America's Cup, you know, I remember the people in Providence said, you know, Newport, we're not going to, you know, we don't need you. We're dealing with Oracle. These are the big boys, Mm. you know, and so we really don't need you. Um, I'm thinking, oh, man, this is not good, you know. Uh, Meanwhile, you got guys like Brad and stuff who really know what there is to know about hosting these things, and Mm. they were kind of locked out. Really? Um, Yeah. I didn't know that. and I don't know, I always felt like working with Oracle was, I mean, they're very professional. They know what they're doing as a corporation. Mm. But uh, they'll invite you to dinner, and you will have dinner. But it may be the leftovers, but you'll eat, you know. And so I'm thinking, this is not good. And, yeah. and now, well, let me just get off of that, that thing. Now, we go to the America, so now the Volvo comes in, everybody, DEM, the People in Providence, everybody is working like mad to make this thing work. Everyone and, wanted to play, and and everybody brought a, a lot of knowledge and wisdom to the mm. to the discussion and and energy, and uh, that's why I think we're so successful. That and I think Brad just <laughs> you know nothing. He's fearless, you yeah. know, and and plus yeah. he he just says, well, how can we do it? What can we do? Sure, yeah, and so and I think the attitude. Now you have the. Remta's involved in stuff. We've got Iris involved in stuff. And the, the schools want to participate. Siemens, you know, I mean, it's just, it's we're getting to a critical mass here that's almost strategic in a way. Mm. You know, we have, you know, so what's what's strategic about Newport? Beautiful harbor, beautiful architecture, um, natural resources. And Volvo's not, they're not going to be the sponsor for the next one, are they? Volvo sold it to somebody they else. sold it, yeah. yeah. But it, I, this, we're, the discussions are still open, and, oh, and we're, I think, you know, we're still in the middle of it. Yeah, it's a major event. Yeah. And, uh, well, and they all say, you know, even the American Cup folks said that, you know, when you come to Newport, you know, you, Newport knows what they're doing. And if you need help, there's an expert there, Yeah, you know, yeah. and anything you can imagine. And so I think, so I guess my point is, is the city. Mm. This is one of our strategic assets now. This knowledge, this experience, this capability, and the industry itself. And, you know, again, like with RIMPTA and the schools. And mm. um, so it's, I A mean. A lot going on, yeah. Because when, when I work with organizations, if you look for where are their, where are their pockets of strategic advantage that they have and or, or capabilities they have and, and and one that was strategic capability yesterday may not be a cap- that may be valuable capability tomorrow right so um but so i think that's this ability to work together and be very good at what we do i mm. think is a real strategic asset for newport i think i remember reading somewhere that when we lost the cup in 1983, that was really a turning point for Newport Harbor to become more accessible for regular folks. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why that was. I guess it's because the the cup took up the waterfront downtown. Yeah. But now, even with the Volvo and all these big events, it just seems that people want to be involved. People want a mooring. They want to be on the water. Um, well, and but so ironically, by losing the cup, yeah. it made it the harbor a more attractive destination for the cruising boater. It's just like life. You know, these little traumas oftentimes, you know, they're not very pleasant to go through. But when you come out the other side, you know, you kind of, mm. like, I'm kind of glad this happened because we got we picked up some bad habits, some bad, you know, perceptions that weren't really, really wide. So, um, you know, again, I worked on some with students and stuff at Roger Williams in the business school on, 
with other communities. And one was Bristol um, itself. And so they had an armory just like ours that was falling apart. What could we do? Uh, we brought them down here and showed them what we had done. Um, we had... Uh, oh, with the, the lower level of the armory. The lower level yeah. of the army. and the harbor. And they Welcome did something center. similar. And uh, But also we looked... They had... The, they, the city had the foresight to buy up all the, you know, pretty much all the property hmm. um, along the, the water. So it's almost all park. And for those areas that where there is a building, like an old factory, like ro- the old Robin Rug, or where they built the condos, they had public access. And they built it in. And right. This is, I mean, we missed the boat on this. Or, we, you know. Yeah, that's continuous. I, I've walked my dogs. And, yeah. and you go right around the outside of the condos and you join the bike path. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so. In Bristol. That was forward thinking. And that, mm. that now for them is a strategic asset for quality of life. Um, so. But they have a corral, which all you know, all those little boats we were talking about, mm-hmm. they're over here. And then they have uh, their newer marina, and then they also, Robin Rudd is giving them their riparian rights to build a, more of a marina. Mm. So, again, it's always looking for, you know, more capacity. Right. Yeah, when I was a kid, when I learned the sale with the Newport Yacht Club, I believe... They kept the they kept the turnabouts, the dinghies we sell in, in that basin over by Storer Park on the point. Okay, and that that since gone. In fact, in the when I was older in the late eighties, when the boats would do the the O Star, the transatlantic yeah. from England to Plymouth to Newport, yeah. Mr. Musil would med more them in okay. that basin. Okay, and and that was a and that 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 went away too. And now they're sort of spread out on moorings. And, and yeah, that. it's nice to have when a, when a race like that, like the Volvo or the the O Star, something. If you have a, a transatlantic race, have all the boats in one spot, where the public can view well, them. You know, we could do some of that stuff because we did that with the Museum of Yachting. We 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 offered. They asked us, and we kind of overrode the waiting list to put some moorings out there for them. But that kind of got gamed. <laughs> oh yeah. So um, not in a bad way, but it's not how it was intended. Right. Um, but these are things. I, at some point. We could redesign the harbor, and uh, you know, and try to. I don't want to be at that meeting. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and just and and you know, and, but you have to have your goals clear. Is it to have, you know, right? Is it the town? Is Someone it needs to come visitors? up with a plan yeah. first. Yeah. It's yeah. tough, yeah. yeah. And I, I think the idea that the uh, augers or you know, it sounds attractive. It's I mean, a corkscrew yeah. that goes in, but. You know, again, your mooring fee—if you had to pay for that—like mm. five thousand, just to put it in. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's not. It's not. It's not cheap. And environmentally, the, they're on board with that. It's not a problem. It's not. It's not a problem. It's um, not damaging to the ecosystem. No, because you know you can have a shorter scope, and so you don't get as much drag right. around it. Um, yeah, I noticed Tim lowered the the size on the bottom chain. Which is probably a good idea yeah. because a lot of boats weren't even pulling the the yeah. bottom chain. No, I think yeah, I think that was a smart move on his part. And uh, but the uh, the other thing though is if you have a thirty foot boat and you go up to a forty two foot boat, mm. you're dead. Yeah, you, know, yeah, you, you can't. Got, you got to find a new harbor. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks. All right. Appreciate good. your time. No, good. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Standing Before the Mast podcast with Chris Heaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply.